Hey folks, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today we've got something really special for you. Today my guest is Jim Palmer, and he's a serial entrepreneur, marketing expert, and an in-demand small business coach. For the last 30 years, Jim and his wife Stephanie were practical and predictable, living a modest life in suburban Philadelphia where they raised four children. In 2016, Jim and Stephanie traded in physical, practical, and predictable for adventurous and exciting. Now, when I say physical, I mean they traded in their physical home. <laughs> they sold the home they lived in for 30 years, and now they live on a boat full-time. And Jim is now leveraging his dream business to live his dream lifestyle. He's the founder of the Dream Business Academy, a live business building seminar, and he's the founder of Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. He's a video marketer and podcaster who's taught thousands of entrepreneurs both virtually and one-on-one -on -one in his mastermind and coaching programs. He's written and published seven, seven books about marketing and business building strategies and has started and grown multiple six-figure businesses. Today, from his floating home, Captain Jim teaches entrepreneurs and small businesses, small business owners how to create their dream businesses so they, too, can live their dream lifestyle. Join me in welcoming Captain Jim Palmer to the Inside BS Show. All right, Dave, how you doing? Captain Jim, where in the world are you today? You are anchored where? Charleston, South Carolina, my friend. <laughs> and as, as I told you just before we go live, we're in 35 knot winds. I can usually stable myself, but if you see me go like this or something, you know the boots are rocking. <laughs> All right, so did you convince Stephanie or did Stephanie convince you to live on the high seas? Well, I grew up on boats. It's been my dream to have a boat. We got married when we were 21. I said, come on, now it's time for us to get a boat. Next thing you know, we had one kid, then two, then four. <laughs> so I, well, I had four kids before I was 30, Dave. And, you know, I, just anybody who has kids knows how expensive that is. So it wasn't until the kids grew up and left the house and we could kind of turn our lives back toward us a little bit because... I poke a little fun, but we were totally committed. We loved a big family. It's what we wanted when we met and all that stuff. But um, So then we got our first boat. It was a 30-foot Sea Ray that we spent every weekend on. Um, <clears throat> and then Stephanie left her pretty high, stressful job. She was running a huge daycare center, like 100 kids, 30 families, teachers, and all the stuff that goes with that. And she goes, you know, you can do your job anywhere, anywhere you got internet, because <clears throat> I'd grown a virtual business. And she said, I think we need to go on a big adventure. And I said, what do you have in mind? And we literally, we were binge watching HGTV island shows. We thought we'd go live on an island for a year, just whatever we're going to do. Then she goes, what if we live on a boat? Now, Dave, I don't know if, if your wife ever says an idea and you think it's going to fleet away and you grab it and you just hold on to it real tight. I said, done, let's do that. She goes, no, we'll have it. Let's discuss it. Let's think about it. Let's nurture it. And I said, no, look at this boat here. You know, I wanted to do that in the worst way, but I think that was, uh, in all in all candor, I think that was God being so kind to me that it was her idea. Because if it went bad and it didn't work out, it was her idea. Yeah. Yeah, you, <laughs> so were, you, were, you, were, you were safe. But that's, so 2016, we're recording this in February of 2021. Yes. So four years you're going to be on. This will be your fifth year. What is, uh, you know, I'm asking because I'm curious, but I know the people who hear this are going to be curious too. 
What what is it like? Uh, I mean, is it do you feel do you ever feel like crowded in the boat or is there enough space? How does it how how's your like especially because a lot of us have been stuck in our homes for a long time. I I'm right. in a uh, you know, I'm in a 5,000 square foot house and I feel like I'm closed in. <laughs> so so tell me about that experience. Well, just so people know, it's not a 30 foot sea boat. This is a picture of one of my books. That's my boat. I okay. don't know if that not reflecting it's a 50 foot boat it's got two bedrooms two bathrooms we've got an upstairs i mean we can get away from each other and i sit here at my desk on the left side of the salon which is the boat name for a living room mm -hmm. couches over here there's usually two chairs we took out one chair so i could put my desk because i work right I'm, I'm not a laptop guy who can just sit anywhere lotus position i gotta have my desk i gotta have my big 22 inch monitor sure so <clears throat> to be honest with you i think she does on occasion when I'm, especially when I'm doing a lot of interviews, I get asked a lot of the same questions or when I'm working with my clients, some of the questions. So she hears me repetitively and she'll get up and she'll go take a walk. She'll go sit upstairs, which you can't hear me up there. So we can get away from each other. I know it sounds cliche, but I really married my best friend. We we go shopping together. Like she go, well, I'm going to go food shopping. Oh, I'll go with you. You think I just want to stay in the boat by myself or do whatever, but we really do everything together. So even, you know, uh, last March, Dave, during the pandemic, when we, we're, this is our lifestyle anyway, we yeah. pretty much sequester ourselves. What we did do, um, we agreed to a one-year adventure. Like, we'll go, we're going to buy the boat. We're going to take it up to New England and spend the first summer where our daughter Jessica lives and our two grandkids. And then we're going to go to Florida and then back up. And then we'd figure out, well, let's go live somewhere again. We knew two months in, this is way too much fun. Hmm. And so we're on four years now. We're going to try and do something this year if they open up the border between the U.S. and Canada. We're going to do something called the Great Loop where you can circumnavigate the entire East Coast of the United States. It takes a year to do. It's a huge commitment of time and money, frankly. It's a lot of fuel and things like that. But it's one of those things. I'm 62. She's 61. We just want to – we're not ready to go to the townhouse with maintenance-free living and just sit there and go play golf. I've never played golf in my life other than putt-putt golf. Right. And we're just not ready for that day. We just, I tell you the honest truth, when, when I moved on the boat, I, I was coming up on maybe four to five years of really good business. I mean, my first 10 years were like anybody. I was like 80 hours a week. Oh, my God, I sh I, I'd made way more than this working less, right? Mm -hmm. But then my business really took off. <clears throat> and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, when, when they get in that growth cycle, they, they just, I don't want to say I coasted, but I was much less aggressive because I didn't have to fight and claw. We we became debt-free. I was living a good life. So I wasn't really like looking for every opportunity, pedal to the metal, if that makes sense. Sure. But when we got on the boat, I suddenly was way outside my comfort zone like I hadn't been in a few years. Now, I've never driven a, this is a 50-foot boat with almost a 1,000 horsepower. I've never driven in the Atlantic Ocean before other than being on a ferry uh, going to Martha's Vineyard when I was a kid on a vacation. And we're driving the boat out there. And suddenly we're in like five-foot seas and the boat's rocking. And in my head, I'm thinking, honey, don't be afraid. This is a 50-foot boat. We felt like a cork in the ocean. I felt complete. <laughs> I was complete out of my mind. And sometimes we look at this and I think, how are we still floating? We, we're much, much better uh, boat operators now than we were when we started but we had it was trial by fire dave mm. and that i would say that re-energized my my entrepreneurial juices so to speak to keep pushing and doing different things and stretching yourself because the minute you get content and just kind of coast 
I think you're already starting to on the glide path down to whenever the uh, this is one of my favorite things when whenever the sand runs out of the hourglass. I got this after I had cancer to remind myself that the sand is running out and you can't stop it. So you got to live life every day. So talk about talk a little bit about that and how that was uh, that was uh, that was the catalyst for what what became what you have now. Right. That was that was a that was a moment for you where you every obviously you have cancer. Everything changes. But Mm -hmm. tell tell folks how there, there was a good side to that. So I call it, I look back on it now with clarity and 2020 vision and hindsight. And I say, that was my season of crisis. And um, so I lost, I was VP of marketing for a training company and in in, I lost my job in uh, July of 2000. Thought, in fact, I came home to my wife who at, up to this point had been a stay-at-home mom. I'd, make, I'd made enough money. We didn't have a huge savings, but we wanted her to be a stay-at-home mom. And I said, oh, don't worry, honey. I'll be fielding multiple lucrative job offers inside of days, weeks, a month at the outside. (laughs) Well, a year later, I'm still unemployed, Dave. I I can't believe I cannot land a job. And um, and one exactly 12 12 months into this, what became an 18-month period of time, I got cancer. And I think, well, how much lower can I go, right? And um, but I'll tell you, when when I was sitting on the surgeon's table, and he said. You, you know, the average life expectancy past five years for you is either 80, 20, or 50, 50. We'll know after the surgery. And when you hear that, now, I, the, the, the super fast, like lightning quick thought, when I thought five years was my, my with twin girls are 13, I might not see them graduate high school. That gets you, that gives you clarity about what's important. I wouldn't even worry about a job anymore. I mean, I, just, I had to live. I had to fight and stay alive. And I did. I mean, it's a long time ago. It's almost, it's 20 years ago now. Mm. And, um, but Dave, after I recovered, I did get a job offer. And it was uh, late uh, August. I got a job offer. As I was recovering, I was actually negotiating on the phone <laughs> post-surgery. I didn't say anything because I, I knew I'd be better. I would have said something if I had to, but I said, well, I'm not going to interject this into the conversation because I know I'll get better. So I got a job offer, and literally 11 day, about 11 or 12 days later, September 11, 2001 happened. Oh, man. And the company that was going to hire me to uh, create a franchise program for their, for their 14 stores – he said, we got to put the brakes on. I understood, you know, you don't go into a two or $300,000 franchise program expansion. We didn't know what, you know, to, as Alan Jackson said, the, the day the world stopped, right? Mm-hmm. So um, suddenly I'm out of work again. I've just had cancer. And I just prayed for guidance, to be honest with you. And uh, I was told to become an entrepreneur. And I, I remember thinking, wait, did I, I, I couldn't have heard that right. I'm broke. I've already got like $30,000 of credit card debt keeping the family afloat. Yeah. Do you want me to become an entrepreneur? Well, I did. In, in October 2001, I started my first business. Five years later, I was doing about 300000 but I had really plateaued. And that's when I met somebody, um, kind of a mentor. And that's when I first learned about uh, Dan Kennedy and the whole Glazer Kennedy mm-hmm. world. And I learned about direct response copywriting. I immersed myself in internet marketing. I bought Corey Rudel's course and a bunch of other people that were big at the time. <clears throat> and um, and I learned about leverage, Dave. So instead of my my little home based small business where all my clients were regional to my home office, mm-hmm. I suddenly learned I can I can sell content and newsletters 
anywhere. Right. And so I created No Hassle Newsletters in 2007. I grew that to 1,200 small business owners were subscribing to my monthly service in nine countries. I had no idea there were nine English-speaking countries in the world, but nine nine countries I had... Um, so that really became, and then I just kept going. I created No Hassle Social Media, Concierge, Print Mail and Demand, Custom Article Generator, Success Advantage Publishing. So I published my books and my study home study courses, and I published up to this point almost 30 books for other entrepreneurs. And then, then that brought us to the first question when we wanted to live on the boat. I Some of the, like No Hassle Social Media, because the landscape changed, I just kind of let that one go as people dropped off. And right now, No Hassle Newsletters and my printing company are run by four people, like virtual assistants. It just runs like clockwork. I I almost don't do anything for that. But my main business today is my running my mastermind and coaching business. Yeah. So you're... All that done for you stuff, with the exception of the social media, you're still you're still doing all that, but you have a team that does it for you. And these aren't employees; these are VAs, right? No employees. That was about the only thing on somebody. I I I was already entrepreneurial, so somebody in the corporate mindset back in 2000, oh, you got to have a business plan. I don't need a business plan. Yeah. Well, I thought the only thing on my business plan was no employees. I didn't want employees. <clears throat> At one point, I was a regional manager for a chain of stores. I had over 100 employees and oh, what a pain in the rear. That's the worst part about business yeah. is dealing with staff issues. And right. I just didn't want to deal with that. So that's part of the reason, by the way, that I plateaued because I could only handle so much. I was closing business. I was writing, designing newsletters, overseeing the printing and mailing and delivering. I was doing everything, right. but I didn't want to have employees, right? right. So, yeah. But now I understand about the whole world of virtual assistants and 1099 subcontractors. Yeah. All right. So let's let uh, there's there's one thing that I need for my mental health. I want I want to I want to discuss this this with you. Uh, so I went when I when I I was kind of similar to you. I, I worked in, in a corporate type job for over 20, you know, 18 years. And um, so I went out on my own. And at one point I went to one of these uh, entrepreneurial group meetings all right not like a not like something that not like what you do and what i do like not like a mastermind group like a group with people who are like entrepreneurs with brick and mortar type businesses right right and i go there and they said hey to apply you got to do over a million dollars a year in revenue and you have to have x number of employees and i said well you know i, I was drinking a cup of coffee i put the coffee <laughs> down i'm like well i guess i'm hey, gonna yeah. leave yeah because yeah. i i never I, you know i had 300 employees that worked for me i, I never want to go there again they're like well how are you going to grow and, you know, there's something about when you're when you're an entrepreneur, even if you're the nicest person in the world, when somebody says something about being an entrepreneur that you just that, you know, is just not true. It just gets under your skin. So I, I looked at this person and I said, let me ask you something. And I'm not doing this to be arrogant. I really want to know how much how much do you take home as the owner of your business? This is a guy who's got a dry cleaning company, you know, five drop stores, got mm-hmm. 30 trucks on the road doing pick up and drop off at all the condos in, in South Florida. Really, yep. really successful guy. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, good year, uh, good year about, you know, a million two, maybe a million and a half, bad year, 700,000. Depends on if we want to reinvest in the business, blah, blah, blah. Gives me the whole song and dance. Yeah. And I said, that's fantastic. Congratulations on all your success. I'm still going to go. <laughs> and he's yep. like, wait, 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 why? I said, because I don't have any employees and... You know, I think I think I can get to the level of success you're at now. In fact, I'm past your bad year of success right now today without any yeah. employees. So why would I torture myself? And the That's guy's funny. jaw just hit the floor. 
have you have you had that experience where people come up to you and they go, where are your employees? And you, and you know that the CEO of this company who's lying awake at night worried about payroll or, you know, getting sued by somebody for something that really didn't happen, right? right. That guy is not sleeping. You're sleeping like a baby. Have you had that same experience? Uh, multiple times. In fact, sometimes people, I'll have these calls um, that they think they might want to coach with me. And I can tell this is a PIA. I'm not going to do this. And then some people are even more brazen, like, are you always in a t-shirt? I put a shirt on for you, Dave. I know you <laughs> but you saw me. Typically, I live on a boat, so I'm in yeah, a t-shirt. Yeah. And um, he goes, well, first of all, we, we can't do this virtual. I'm going to need you to come to I said, well, I can't do that. I'm, I don't get on a plane. I'm not flying around anymore and blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't think it's going to be a good fit. Hey, that's great. As We both know that, right? Um, and they sometimes look down. There's a, there's an expression. It's called gross is for vanity, net is for sanity. So gross, hey, I have a million-dollar business, seven figures. Here. Well, if you have a seven-figure business putting on live events and you have $900,000 in expenses, guess what? You have a, a six-figure business, right? Yeah, no, no, no. And so it's one of the things I tell my, um, my clients. I said, they go, well, I need to get to seven figures. Said, hey, that's fine if that's your goal. And let's figure out a way to get there. But have you, do you know what it's like to live on like $250,000 a year? It's a hell of a nice life. You can do almost anything you want. Sure. So just figure out what do you want your dream lifestyle to look like. Build a business that supports that, and you're good. But if your goal is to just keep climbing the ladder more and more and more, I think that's fine. I have no problems with that. But, yeah, there are people that want to uh, judge you, you know, and, and they have their own visions. There's something called um, – funny i just i just uh posted about this a couple days ago the difference between a small business owner and an entrepreneur because when i do interviews like this i'll usually say um an entrepreneur or small business owner i throw the word or in there and people well aren't they the same they're not the same mm. a small business owner and I'll, i use this example if you have a brick and mortar jewelry store in a strip mall right let's say you got 1200 square feet you walk in you got the glass cases you know it's kind of a bowling alley store and you work really hard and you grow that to a million dollars in sales. But you've, you've, your cases are now packed. You've shuffled things around. You got one more glass case with expensive washers. You can't get up. You're a million one. You can't get any higher. A small business owner focused solely on selling more jewelry does what? He opens a second location and a third location. Entrepreneur, excuse me, small business owners think of gross sales, more and more selling what you have. Entrepreneurs are wealth creation focus they focus on creating wealth for themselves so the jewelry store owner who's doing a million dollars and can't grow his options at this point well let me see i do a million dollars out of 1200 square feet the average if you look at say and i'm not saying these are true figures but for the sake of discussion let's say the average jewelry store does 700,000 you're doing a million you might have a coach. First of all, write a book, create a home study course, lead a mastermind on how you grew your jewelry store. And, you know, suppose you get 30 jewelry stores around the country paying you $250 or $300 a month. Let's say there's 30 paying you three, $300 a month. What's that? Is that nine grand, I think, right? So nine grand, that's a, that's a six-figure income with no cost of goods. Right. It's almost 100% profit other than your time leading this mastermind. And again, you got a home study. There's so many things you can do. So I'm a big fan of multiple streams of revenue. So if somebody looks at my business, and I've had people do that. I've had people. Now, I'm 62, as I said, so I'm a little old, older school. I was at a, a seminar. A goes, guy goes, well, what do you take home? I said, my wife barely knows that. My accountant and I do. 
She know, but I, I have no idea who you are. What a rude question. I don't even know if I said, rude. but I'm like, where, where do you get off just asking that? But I, you know what I mean? So I think, first of all, I think business owners who are focused on, uh, first of all, you know, living a debt-free life and living life on their terms, I think that's the ultimate definition of success. I have structured a business since five years ago where I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I do not work Monday and Friday. Now, truth be told, because I don't want to get struck by lightning, I have no scheduled calls. I almost don't do any interviews. I'm on your show because I love your show and you do Friday interviews, so here I am. But after this, the shirt comes off. I'm going to go change oil in the engine room, right? But if I wanted to work, if I was if I was writing a book, creating a course, or doing something, I could. Right. But Stephanie and I... We know we're always going to be somewhere tied to a dock usually for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then we can travel Friday through Monday. And that's the life I've set up. My own, at this stage of my life, my own financial advisor said, why don't you just work four days a week for, say, another year or two, and and you'll get to that magic number we're getting real close to for retirement. Sure. I don't want to do that. It's only four. It's only another year or two. You know what? 20 years ago, I learned I may not have five years. I may, you know, you never know when the hammer is going to come down. Right. This is the life we want. We figured out we're living a really nice life. We're debt free. We're putting away lots of money for retirement. We're going to get there. But in the meantime, we're living an extraordinary life. Very, very blessed. And so I think sometimes you have to get really clear on what what you want your life to look like. And we've all heard the stories, Dave, of somebody that works their butt off, creates immense wealth, houses, this, that, and the other thing, and then they drop dead. Right. So they never really get a chance to do that. Right, right, right. Um, talk about your, so you're, you're, you're in your, you have your dream business now and you help other people get their dream businesses. <clears throat> Why, you know, I hear you talk about retirement. What would retirement look like and how would it be different from what you're doing now? It's a good question. And to be honest with you, I, I get this from my mom. I cannot sit still for five minutes. I've, Oh, is that dirt over there? Let me go scrub that. You know, I can't sit still. Mm-hmm. My so my my dream retirement is in three years. I no longer have to. I don't worry, but I no longer have to maintain somewhere between twenty and thirty clients. It, I don't want to say it's effortless. I get a lot of referrals now, but that's where I am right now. Mm-hmm. But when I hit that number in about three years, I I my goal would be. I think I want to work with five, maybe 10 people. I'm not going to offer my low-end program anymore, but if I have five or 10 people at, say, 15 grand a year, 10 grand a year, that's it. That's all I need. That puts all the diesel fuel I need. Sure. Keeps me comfortable. I keep my mind engaged. Um you know, so there's I've, I've no got, there's no retirement in the Jim no Palmer future. It's just it's just different. It's just uh, and and you know we you I've seen your evolution. I I first met you. Uh, I first met you. I found your stuff through the newsletter guru, um, mm. and I've seen your evolution over the years. We're constantly we have to constantly reinvent what we're doing or add on to what That's we're it. doing to keep up with what the clients want. So right. for me, I think about and and I think you're you're the same way. We you know that reinvention it reinvigorates you. So you know you're you're just like this is great. I'm I'm loving this. And then you get to the point where because you, you're good at what you do, you get you, you're doing too much of it, and you're like, okay, now I have to figure out how to do just the right amount of this and the next thing. Entrepreneurs, by and large, are creative. They love to they love to invent, create, and build. 
they don't like to then manage, right? Well, suddenly you get to the point where it's a company and you got to run it, and there's that's when you either sell it off or or put somebody in place and go build something else. Honestly, from say 65 till who knows 70, 75. I'm just pontificating here. I I would do what I just described to you. After that, I told my wife. Just for my own sanity and in our in our marriage, I, I I'll go put an orange apron on and work at Home Depot because I'm pretty handy. And just to get out and talk with people, bring in twelve. At that point, if I can bring in ten thousand dollars a year, that gives us our restaurant money. I'm just forward thinking like sure, that. Sure, sure. I mean, they're telling you we're. I need to have money till I'm ninety five or ninety six. I have no clue if I'm going to live that long, but I will be prepared because I don't want to be you know sweating in retirement. I'll never slow down, Dave. One of the things I'm thinking about. We're part of these boaters group, and people are always asking in these forums, "How do you make money living on a boat?" So I'm, I'm thinking I might, I might do a course. Here's how I do it. Here's That's how awesome. you can do it. That's brilliant. People, people don't even realize that the skill and talent they have has value, and you don't need a thousand customers. You could use twenty, <laughs> you know, good customers. So that that may be my next thing is how I live and support myself on a boat. All right. So you mentioned earlier on that at one point in your career, you were at a plateau and Mm -hmm. in coaching other entrepreneurs, I'm sure people come to you when they're at a plateau. What's the, you know, what's the Captain Jim philosophy for breaking through that ceiling? Because we all have, we have like a, uh, like a mental thermostat and you have one or two years where you're doing 300,000 or one or two years where you're doing half a million and you're like, okay, this is good and I'm doing, I'm doing great, but I want more, but I can't, I'm the $300,000 guy, right? How do you bust through that? Um, there's going to be a problem in that scenario that can be fixed. So first of all, you have to, there has to be a demand for what you're offering. I don't think I've ever come across somebody who, who we couldn't, uh, find an audience for to create a nice business. I mean, unless you, and this is really dumb, but let's say you take grass clippings and you sew them into a rug. It's stupid, but there's not an audience for that. Mm -hmm. But for most things there is. Um, so if you, if you have a product, I think that there's a demand for what you do, you, and you're able to do it consistently well, you then have to be able to stand out and get noticed, which is AKA marketing and a good brand. Now, one of the, that's one of the problems. I'll give you an example. About five years ago, um, guy came to me, he was a carpet cleaner. He was doing about 80, 80, $90,000 a year, breaking his back. It was good money, but again, a lot of, a lot Mm -hmm. of labor in there. And he said, I can't seem to get above this. I said, wow, you've been doing this for 10 years. You've, okay, first of all, congratulations. But I, I, and I immediately said, I see a problem with your, with your name. Well, when, you, when he named his company, a lot like when people name a boat, they named it something that's important to them or reflects their values. I think it was um, cleaning with pride or something like that. And I'm like, there's a huge problem with nobody's going to find you because you're missing... A very important word in your name, carpet, is not in the name of your business. Carpet cleaning is not in your business. So it took me a couple of months, but I convinced him to change the name of his company, new things for his trucks and everything. And we came up with a name, and I, I, I wish I could think of what it was, but I, it started with an A because I wanted to be searched that way. This was, I think phone books were dying out, but I might have my time period wrong, but you're going to come up in the phone book. We'll come up in the Google search. And we, we, the tagline of his company, so if it was um, A1 Choice Carpet Cleaner, something like that. I don't recall. And then the tagline actually 
used his original name, We Clean Your Carpets with Pride, in, and then we actually named this trading area, like Dolphin County or something. It was a huge area. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And when we did that, he started getting ranked for people in Dolphin County who go to Google and say, carpet cleaners. Oh, A1 premium carpet cleaners. We, do, we clean your carpets with pride in Dolphin County or something like that. And, and he started growing. That's just one thing, right? Mm-hmm. The, one of the biggest things I can help people with besides the branding is being able to charge more, what I call price elasticity. You have no idea how much more you can charge. I'll, I'll give another example. One of my current clients today is a CPA, been in business 30 years down in Texas. Last year at March, um, this is right when they were going to put us down for our two-week to flatten the curve. Right. Remember that? Right. And um, I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, well, I'm done. They, I know they're going to give an extension like from April 15th to July 15th to file your taxes, but I'm done anyway. I'm, I'm us- I usually finish and I take off the month of eight, May just to relax and go on vacation, but obviously we can't go on vacation. I said, well, I have a, I have a business idea if you're interested. He goes, well, what? And I said, if your client and he his clients are not, I'm I'm a small potato. This guy he he has a CPA firm that takes care of construction companies. I mean big companies. And I said, if your business owners or anything like me, I can't stand the minutia. And that's when PPP loans came out. Mm-hmm. So me, I'm like, of course I'm on my boat. My entire office is in this little box down here. I don't have my file cabinets anymore. And I'm trying to gather this information for a PPP loan. And I said, if I just had my CPA come to me and say, I will take care of this for you. I'll file it. I'll fill it all out because I know the stuff anyway. I'll give the supporting documents. He goes, should I do that? Because they're good clients. I said, did you really have to answer that? Ask that question. I said, no. So he came up with like $750. He sent a simple email out to his, his clients. He got 32 clients to say, yes, please. So we got 32 clients to pay him $750 and handle the filing of their PPP loans. About 60 days later, I remember this was down in the June time frame, Dave. <clears throat> he goes, well, that was a nice hit. I, I don't know if it was um, 40 grand or whatever it is. Yeah. So this is why I'm not a CPA. I, I can't do math in my head. But I said, are you ready for round two? And he goes, yeah, what is it? Well, everybody that got their loan, thanks to you, it's either going to stay alone or, you know, it could be forgiven. That's a big hit if they don't fill it out right and they get denied. I said, you ought to send, so I I helped him write a three-step email. It went out on Wednesday, again on Friday, and one more on Monday. And basically it said, hey, it's time to start, this is before they extended it, but it's time to, you know, put, get your paperwork together. If you want me to handle it, this is much more time consuming, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it was like $1,500. 30 of the 32 people paid him 50. He basically, and then there was a little more business came out of it. He said, because I was talking to him just days, and I was, we were reminiscing. He goes, Jim, that was $160,000 in revenue in the door that I hadn't planned on. So I, I'm seeing to be giving you very long answers because I get excited for this stuff. But it's like, where are the hidden opportunities to create additional revenue with the people who already know, like, and trust you, a.k.a. your current customers, instead of focusing on trying to attract more new yeah. customers? Yeah. What was the what was the skill that you acquired after you uh, after you got into you know the kind of the business you're in now? What was the what was the first skill you acquired where you were like, oh my gosh, this could change everything? Um, 
I I was deathly afraid of public speaking my entire life. I seriously, people think I'm exaggerating. I almost didn't graduate high school because when I'd have to stand up in either English or history and read a chapter, like everybody had to up and down the rows, mm-hmm. I would figure out, okay, that's Tuesday, Wednesday. On Thursday, I'm out of school. So I actually did that. I was so afraid, Dave. Even when I became a regional manager, instead of getting up in front of all my employees, I'd find t- I would just have these little pocket meetings here and there. So I found ways to get my job done. But then as the newsletter guru, I started getting invitations. Hey, can you come out and speak to us about news and marketing? And I'm like, hey, thank you very much. I'm flattered. I'm traveling. I'm busy this time. I would just lie my ass off Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to go do that. And then uh, I had what was called my most embarrassing moment as an entrepreneur. When I started growing my coaching program, I started in 2009. I started feeling more courage about being an entrepreneur and playing a bigger game. And I joined this mastermind, which was... This term's thrown around a lot, but it really was a high-powered mastermind. There was a couple very successful coaches in there. The top guy who I just thought was like walking on water was doing like $2.5 million coaching people on the phone. Yeah. Right? So this guy was like, woof. So I go to this meeting. I was nervous as a, a you know, mm-hmm. cattail in the, with the rocking chair. And I went first because I didn't want to sit in the room all day, just my knee bouncing up and down, like being afraid to get up in front of people. So I said, this is what I'm doing. I've got this business, this business, this business, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm doing coaching. I'd really love to grow this, blah, blah, blah. And then we had a break. I got some good feedback, but then we had a break. And this guy came up to me and thank God he did it on a break and not in front of everybody else. But he said, Jim, I'd like to ask you a question. Sure. Hey, good, good to meet you. I'm happy to be here. You know, <laughs> oh. and he goes, um, I'm aware you'd like to grow your coaching business to be like some of the people in this room, perhaps even like mine. And I'm aware of what you're doing because I follow you and I see the marketing you're doing. But I'm also aware of what you're not doing, Jim. And uh, the question I have is, how do you think you're entitled to achieve this same level of success as me and some other people, but you're not willing to do the things that we do to grow? How does that work for you? And I, I know I turned 50 shades of red because I was very embarrassed because I was, I, I recognized I was being a real wuss about this. Right. Mm. So Dave, uh, me being an entrepreneur and not wanting to take it slow and easy. I didn't try this, see if it worked. And then this, I went. I, I did the Dale Carnegie course. I did Toastmasters. I read books. I went to a professional hypnotist. I cured my fear of public speech. I can get up right now on five minutes notice in front of 500 people, and I can go like I'm talking with you now. And it turns out I'm a pretty good speaker, right? So I've had this fear my whole life. But another fear that I had was putting on my own events because, man, if you want to sell coaching services, you put on a, a two-, three-day event. And you get up there, you might have a guest speaker or two, and you teach for two and a half days, and then you give out the invitation yep. to join your coaching program. Yep. And if you do a great job, people are going to be like, I, and the first time I did it, I was like, God, I hope my face doesn't visibly show how excited I am as people are handing me their applications to join my coaching program. Yep. Thank you. This is going to be a great experience. Inside, I'm doing cartwheels. But... Now, Dave, you know, if you put on your own event, first of all, you sign a contract with the hotel, not just for the meeting space. You spend so much money on food and beverage. My palms, you have are, to- my palms are sweating <laughs> as you're describing this. <laughs> you, you guarantee sleeping rooms. And if nobody yep. comes, it's yep. not like, sorry, oh, nobody came. God. You pay for those. I, I just threw up in my mouth. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and there are some big, I mean, I, I admire people like Ryan Dice who put on, you know, traffic and conversion. Version. 
Uh, Russell Brunson does huge events. My biggest event costs thirty-two thousand, but it's a lot of money yeah. to put it out there, yeah. and it's always worked for me. But I'll tell you that first morning of my first event, which I did in Las Vegas, I was battling nerves and and butterflies. And I'm like, what if I take my first lunch break and I think, God, I just shot. I have. I'm not going to use that expression. I just put. I just gave everything I know. What am I going to talk about for the next two days? Yeah. And it didn't happen. It was really good, but I had to step through that line of fear and just do it and recognize, wow, I can do it. And it wasn't as bad as I held off for 12 years, you know. Oh my gosh, that is. You just hit on my my number one uh, concern in my business is so those events are relationship accelerators and that's a good word. You, you yeah. gotta you gotta do them because it's exactly what you said. The you know if you're it, you you don't have to be outstanding if you're just good. The conversion rate of the people in the room will be will be north of sixty percent. So, yeah, that's right. Um, so you you know in our business you have to do them, but. The, you know, the way the venues are structured, the venues aren't structured to do business with guys like us. The venues are structured to do business with Pfizer and IBM and Fortune 500 mm -hmm. companies who, you know, they'll they'll give you a massive, they'll give them a massive deposit up front. They'll guarantee 150 sleeping rooms. And, you know, yep. I mean, it's that's what these venues were structured to do. So. I, we, uh, we, my wife and I are pretty much my business and we do these events and she's a fantastic event planner. She used to do it for a living, but the, you know, signing on the line is yeah. the, you know, it's, it's, it creates quite a bit of fear, quite a bit of concern. So I, my, I understand. My first event, Dave, was, um, you know, they don't, the hotels don't like you to bring food and you got to use right. their stuff. But on the third day of my, so I would do a two day event and there'd be one evening session. And the, the third day was a half day. It was when I started masterminding and this was nerve wracking for me. Cause I'm a really, I'm, I'm a good coach, but when you're on the spot delivering like a hot seat experience in yeah. front of 30, you know, you, you gotta be on your game. And, um, and then, and then we brought in food. Well, I had my, um, I had my wife go and bring in pizza for that day. I thought, well, we'll give sixty or hundred dollars worth of pizza. That's going to beat another five hundred dollar sandwich bill. <laughs> and the lady running the event says, "I didn't see that. That's fine. We appreciate you know." So, yeah, you do some things like that. But I'll tell you what, I, I got so good at it, Dave, that I I created a course, how to sell from the stage like a pro. It's an absolute science. From what the room looks like to what you, the very first words out of your mouth to every single thing leading up to the, what I call the ask or the presentation of the order forms or invitations, which is more friendly language, mm -hmm. but it's an exact science. And I did eight dream business academies. And, um, so have you, have you considered revising that for, for virtual, for the current environment we're in? Is there, and I'm sure there's differences, there's nuances. Have you, have you thought there about there are. And it's funny you ask. I was just on the phone with my um, guy who's been with me for all these years, my tech guy, and he's also a marketer. And um, <clears throat> we're redoing the How to Sell from the Sage Like a Pro website now. And the things that I have learned since I, I originally – I had a videographer come in. Back in the day, I did 32 speaking gigs in about 15 months when I was – as the newsletter guru and selling no hassle newsletters. Mm -hmm. So I had a videographer come in and film one of those 60 to 70 minute presentations. And then I went through and edited it and put the thought balloons. Here's where I'm going to do this, watch this. And I, and then I had a worksheet and the timelines. It's a pretty cool course, but what I've learned since doing, 
when I when I um, after you know after the security got real bad, and then I just started disliking the travel and the airports and sitting in the terminal two hours before you're ready, all that stuff. So that's when I switched. When podcasts came out, um, I've done probably 300, 350 interviews like this in a, about a two or three year period of time, which was a great another business accelerator, relationship accelerator. Yeah, I, think yeah. I like that expression. And so I got really good at doing interviews like this. There's some things I'm doing right now where I know I'm presenting some good value, but believe me, if we were to dissect what I'm doing, there's some things in here which are going to make people want to connect with me, which would throw me no end. So I am revising that, or it's more like I'm putting an addendum on for the virtual space um, because, you know, I, I could do two or three of these a day and... and I know for a fact, if I look at my Amazon account tomorrow, there'll be books. Not tomorrow, because I'm sure this is going to come out sometime down the road. But yeah. you know what I mean? You'll you'll see that traction. A book leads to a, they visit the website, they follow you. Next thing you know, they reach out for a call. Yeah. That's how it happens. So what's the, do you, you have a dedicated URL just for that course in case people want to get that specific course. How do they get that course? Uh, well, every, you can go to getjimpalmer.com. Everything okay. is there. But I believe that URL is how to sell from the stage like a pro, okay. which is a long URL. But we're, we consistently come up number one. I think it's how to sell from the stage is what most people looking for that skill set they type in. And, and we're, I, I, don't pay, I, have, I have never paid for any traffic to that website because I just happen to snag the good URL and name my course appropriately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, and we're going to put that in the, in the show notes for people who want it because everybody who speaks, it, even if you don't have a product to sell, you should be offering what I call a honeypot so that people can engage with you so you can follow up with them later. You should be offering right. something for free. And most people don't realize how much, how hard you have to work to get somebody to give you their opt-in information for something for free. It's crazy. I know. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's an inherent um, pessimism that's built into the online world. I recognize that from my own attitude as a consumer. Why do I got to give you my name and, and just so I can get some quotes on car rental or whatever? That annoys the hell out of me. So I don't do it. There's some of my stuff that I put out there. I put it on landing pages, but I don't even make you opt in. And why do I do that? Well, I think people will opt in eventually, but I want them to have my information. Yeah. And I think that is sometimes a speed bump. I have plenty of landing pages where you have to opt in because it's some really good stuff. But I also test it the other way. Yeah. Um, there's this one program I did. It wasn't actually a business course. It was called Sur Serve First, um, which is kind of a life principle, but it also matters in the business world. Serve first, serve often, keep serving. And so... I did an audiobook and transcribed, et cetera. And it's on a landing page and you don't have to opt in. About a year afterwards, I, I don't even know how to log into my websites, David. So I just do what I do. I stay in my lane. That's yeah. another thing I teach. Stay in your lane. So I was talking to my tech guy. I was like, hey, is there any way to know how many people downloaded that? And he goes, I don't know how many downloaded it, but I can tell you how many people visit that page. It was like 14,000 people wow. went to that page. Now, I would assume most of them would download it because it's free. Mm -hmm. And the only way they really heard about it was I kind of reference it like I do right now. And they went and got that. So that that's just another way you yeah. know people sometimes get stuck in their rut oh i'm going to give i'm going to give them some information but i'm going to make them opt in for it okay i mean it's not a bad strategy but if the idea is to connect with more people have them learn more about you how you did what you do how you can help others that seems to me to be another way to 
get that relationship accelerated. Sure, sure. Okay, now let's talk about going from uh, being uh, branded for one thing and then doing something else. So the the newsletter guru, which is, uh, by the way, it's a, it's fantastic. I want everybody to do a print newsletter. Let them, you have your guys do it for, uh, for them. Go to Get Jim Palmer and sign up for the Done For You newsletter program because everybody needs to have... I love physical newsletters because yeah. people read them, they save them, they read them again, they share them with other people. The pass along value is fantastic. So it's you're the only way 100% deliverability rate, which exactly, is exactly <laughs> exactly. It's so, nohasslenewsletters.com, by the way. If okay, I can drop no hassle newsletters.com. That'll be right. in the show notes too. So you're the newsletter guru, and yes. how do you go from people knowing you as the newsletter guru to somebody getting into your mastermind group, which is which is the the real core of your of what your business right. is, right? So how does that how does how do people make that transition? So I'm doing the newsletter, and, and my original website was the newsletterguru.com. Mm -hmm. So everything was based on that. Um, and then when I started my podcast and I, I created the Get Jim Palmer, I couldn't do Jim Palmer because he's a former baseball player, so I'd getjimpalmer.com. Right. And um, so I started transitioning, but in my lingo and everything, hey, Jim Palmer, the newsletter guru and dream business coach, I started marrying the two, and I did that for almost two years, and then I started tapering down. Um, cause no hassle newsletters just runs. People find it, you know, Glacia Kennedy will recommend it and boom, I'll get some more, but I'm not pushing that right now. I'm, I do believe you should focus, but so many people, my, my, um, email list was almost 25,000 small business owners purely that got to know me through my events, through Glazer Kennedy, through No Hassle Newsletters, me being the newsletter guru. So I couldn't just abandon that. Mm -hmm. But I started referencing. In fact, when I do, I do what's called my monthly interview the experts coaching call. It's, it's, I started that before podcast, so it's what you and I are doing. Right. And I transcribe it and I say, hey, it's Jim Palmer, the newsletter guru and dream business coach and today. So I just started marrying the two. And then as I'm doing my videos, uh, my original video program, I did weekly produced videos with my little flip camera. I started in um, 2000, almost 2009, and I did it for six years in a row, Dave. Every single, I only missed two weeks in six years. On average, in the heyday of the, the whole video marketing thing, I had like about 1,000 people would watch each video. Mm -hmm. And it was at the tail end of that that I started using the two. And then I stopped doing those, and that's when, like, Facebook Live was coming out, and there was something else. I forget there was another live program, but li doing maybe live. Like, like Periscope, maybe on That was on it, Twitter. yeah, yeah, Periscope. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. That kind of disappeared, I think. But it did. So I, so I started doing live videos, and, and then I, was, um, I created Dream Business TV because that's when I started growing the coaching program and stuff. So I think it's fine. You can't be... You can't start out and say, hey, I want to be two things. Right. I mean, I grew a heck of a business and a following. And what's interesting is when I wrote my first book, which was The Magic of Newsletter Marketing to support the newsletter marketing business, newsletter marketing is part of a bigger concept called retention marketing. It's how to, how to make more from the customers you have. And so my second book was called Stick Like Glue, How to Create an Everlasting Bond with Your Customers So They Stay Longer, Refer More, and Spend More. And... So newsletter marketing, that's the head of the pin. Then I did stick like glue, broader, more retention-based marketing. And then as I started transitioning in 2009, my next book was called The Fastest Way to Hire Profits. So I'm still, and it's still Jim Palmer, the newsletter guru, but now they're getting to know me, not just as a newsletter writer and designer. He's a pretty, pretty sharp guy, entrepreneur, marketer, et cetera. So I very slowly started going like this. And then my books today 
I don't reference the newsletter guru other than if I'm writing about it and how I did it, et cetera. Sure, sure. I've morphed into and just focus on dream business coach. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's terrific. Now, but you you can't do it in like a week's time. I no. mean, this we're talking about a two years. five year span yeah, of time well, I at mean, least. You, yeah, you, you were marrying the two. You said for two that's years right. before you moved over. So that's crazy. Um, well, it's it's smart, but it's you know it's a it's a longer amount of time than most it's people a, it's have. It's a in longer their head. game. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Now talk about um, the what ifs. You're you know with your with your dream business coach and in your in your new book, you're highlighting the the what ifs. That entrepreneurs are, are facing. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean by the what ifs? What is that all about? So the the what ifs are also known as dream stealers. So I'm gonna I'm a very visual, so I'll paint a picture. In your brain, and I never went to school for psychology, but in your brain, there's two halves. There's a creative half, and there's the realistic half. And there's just like this dark curtain that hangs down and separates the two. So when you, I believe that when you have an idea that you're excited about i think you actually get romantically like if you remember when you first met your wife man i i went to when i went to sleep she's the last person i thought of when mm -hmm. i woke up i was, so it's like that when you get an idea for a new business oh it's going to be great i'm going to be an entrepreneur oh i'm going to i'm going to live on a boat it's going to be great no matter what your idea is this one side of your brain is just going gangbusters putting up the streamers launching the balloons it's going to be fantastic on the other side of your brain are these dark rain clouds and they're they're called the what ifs and one of them peeks under the oh god he's he's almost there he's hook line and sinker yep. and then they lift up the curtain and throw in all this crap yep. and rain all over your parade and and you know i came up with this terminology when i wrote just say yes after we moved on the boat because i, I realized the similarities like i mentioned earlier and i said we're gonna live on a boat it's gonna be great romantic sunsets sunrises we're going to be driving up the coast of new jersey we're going to do something the other thing and then and then when we made that decision in april by july we're starting to put our house ready to go on the market and that's when the curtain came up and i've talked about it publicly i said this is the boat we're looking at i'm sharing on social media we're going to be this we're going to and then the curtain came up, and I'm like, oh, God, what if I run aground? What if I destroy the boat? What if I hit somebody else's boat? What if I pull into a crowded marina and try to go to the fuel dock, and everybody's watching me, and I, I can't do it? And, and what if this? What if that? All the what ifs. What if I can't get Wi-Fi, and I can't run my business? Mm -hmm. and, the, and, and here's the deal. So I was studying. Like I, One of the things I do when I'm doing something new is I study. So I read this book from a guy who turns out he's an entrepreneur. He's an He's a, an artist, a, he's a writer, and a uh, musician. He lives on a sailboat. He's one of the, I don't need hot water, and I don't need, I just want to live in my sailboat. But he wrote a story about how he made this possible to live his dream. And he said, in like the last chapter of his book, when I had this idea, I started thinking about, well, what if this, what if that? And he said, you know what? Every day I wake up and I either have a great day or a good day, and I'll face, well, where's that water coming in? Where's that leak? And how do I get there? What if I, and I, I just somehow, I find myself overcoming the challenge, fixing the problem. I had no idea. I was a decent diesel mechanic. I was afraid of them when I moved on the boat, but at $120 an hour, I can learn how to do it myself, <laughs> right? So all these different things. And he, he ended up, the, one of the last sentences of this guy's book, he said, you will never know how great your life can be and what it will be like to do it unless you just say yes and don't think about the what ifs, basically. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Yeah. In my book, I sent him a copy of my book, Just Say Yes, and I said, I'm giving you credit. You you gave me this title. And um, he, thanked, he said, that's pretty cool. Thank you. But So in business, oh, I'm going to be great. I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to go be a speaker. I'm going to write a book. 
And that, well, what if nobody likes it? Because I had that when my first book got written, Dave. Magic and New Set of Marketing was 18 months. In reality, it took nine months to write and nine months to get the courage to publish it mm. because my name would be on it. I barely passed high school English. Luckily, I hired an editor, which was zing zing on a credit card because I really mm -hmm. didn't have the money. But I thought to myself, at the root of all what ifs is what if this does go wrong? And even if you internally are okay with it, I'm going to look silly. What if my friends, what if you embarrass your family? Yeah. You know, the second time Stephanie and I got in that boat, was after we bought it and brought it home, we took it the, uh, that spring to be polished. And then I'm driving back to the marina, and this is like April, so the buoys aren't up yet. It's it's early in, in Maryland. And I got too close to the edge of the uh, channel, and I ran aground. One of my number one fears happened the second freaking time I drove this boat. And I ran aground, and I couldn't get off. The marina guy had to bring out his boat and tow me off. And Dave, about 50 feet away on the benches at the fuel dock, I could hear people... Doesn't he know it's shallow over there? Why is he over that far? You know, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> and and you know what? I lived through it. Yeah, I've run aground four times in four years, and it's not a big deal. You got something called uh, sea tow. They come tow you off the sandbar. Right, right. You get your props straightened out, but you'll never know what a great life you have unless. And until you just move forward, just say yes and, and crush the what ifs. And I don't think anybody ever died from a what if, you know, going bad. But those those are the what ifs. I call them dream stealers. Yeah. And the, so the one nugget I want to give your, um, your viewers and your listeners is train your brain to fight back. And when what ifs come in and say, oh, yeah, well, what if it does work? I'm moving forward anyway. So when it what if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does just overpower the negative naysayers. Yeah, no, no, that's, I love that. What if it does work? And, you know, adding to that, the the attitude is, well, we're going to figure out how to make it work. I mean, that's, for me, I, I learned early on that, uh, well, at first I thought, hey, listen, I'm going to learn the formula for doing this and then I'm going to implement the formula and everything's going to work perfectly. Well, that's not how it goes. You learn yeah. the formula and then you bang your head against the wall for like six months and then you learn how to modify the formula so it works for you and then it works, but it doesn't yeah. work to give you that big bag of cash. It works to give you a little bit of cash and then a little that's bit more right. and then a little bit more and a little bit more. So my my thing has been, what if it does work? And if it doesn't work right away, am I prepared to go as hard as I can for as long as I can until it does work? Because you said it at the beginning of the interview. If somebody else is doing it, you can do it, regardless yeah. of what it is. If somebody else did it, you can absolutely do it. It's just, are you willing to put in what you need to put in, in time, in effort, in other resources to get to the finish line? In the early 90s, uh I got into the franchise business. I was working for a guy who owned 14 bicycle stores, and we franchised that to 80 stores in 18 states. It was a pretty fun ride for about five years. And when um, I was introduced to the franchise attorney that the owner had hired, he, he was schooling me because I eventually ran the franchise program. And so we're doing site work. So if somebody says, oh, I'd like to have one of your bike line stores in Pittsburgh, we would do a site survey. We wanted to have... Um, uh, 100,000 people with an average income of $50,000 in five miles. If you have that, that's a good place for a store. Yeah. That's it's a little more to it, but that's it. And so we look at that and go, okay, there's a this circle has it. And I said, but there's already 
three bike shops in there. And he goes this. I never forgot this. He goes, Jim, sharks swim in dense packs where there's ample food supply. If there were no bike shops in there, I'd worry more than the fact that there's three. So just go in there, do a better job, win the business. That's it. That's <laughs> I it. thought that was, that was amazing. No, it's, it's, that's fantastic <laughs> advice. Fantastic advice. Um, I Just a couple more questions for you, and then, and then we'll wrap it up. What do you do, you know, because you're the now you're the dream business coach. You help people with, the, you know, our tagline is make a great living and live a great life. That's what you're helping people do. Right. How do you help them break through the envy barrier? Right. So they they have a fantastic life right now, but they see the other guy with more toys. Right. With a with a bigger boat or with, you know, a bigger house or, you know, going to Europe first class or something. And yep. there's this there's this thing inside all of us as humans. Some people have been able to put it aside. You know, I know I can't. That pulls you and you're like, oh, you know, how do you help people break through that? And you say to them, look, create your picture of what you want your life to be like and then focus on that and don't worry about this other guy. How do you yeah. help people to get through that, Jim? Well, it's not a short answer and I'm certainly not a psychologist, but the truth of the matter is one of the things I do the most with my clients and sometimes they know it, sometimes it's not obvious is I'm a mindset coach because I have to help people have the courage, I call it, step up, be the captain, you know? And um, <clears throat> the fact of the matter is ego is an important part of your makeup, your DNA <clears throat> as, a, as an entrepreneur, but ego will also be your biggest impediment. <clears throat> One of the things I learned early, not early on, but somewhere around the 10-year mark, <clears throat> excuse me, is that... Um, I finally, and when, when I started working with mentors, it finally became clear to me that achieving my dream business was more important than how I got there, whose idea it was, or whatever. Because some people, you say, well, put on your own live event, start writing books, go be a speaker, and do all this, that. I'm going to be successful anyway, and I'm not going to have to do that. That was that when you know the mirror was put up to my face with mm -hmm. that mentor of mine. But in reality... If somebody said, Jim, if you do this, that, and the other thing, I'm like, I, I'd look around, well, it worked for him, it worked for him. Okay, I'm in. It didn't need, when I became an entrepreneur, first of all, it was a very low point in my life, and my, my goals were actually like, God, I just want to make the money I made as an employee, and then it'll be mine, and I'll be fine. Now, I've way surpassed that. Yeah. But in reality, when I started doing well, I started feeling my oats a little bit, and started feeling like I'm super entrepreneur. And then God is a way of humbling you, you know, like, sure, you sure. know, but, the, but the deal is I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you something. I think this will answer your question. I call it extreme motivation, Dave. When I was resist, when I was doing well, but resisting some of the other things like doing live events or going out and speaking and stuff, when I was resisting that and finding ways to grow, I was growing okay and making money, paying bills, etc. but I wasn't growing as fast as I wanted to. And as I knew I could, but I was the owner of my business. I was the I was the president of, of my own corporation, said so on my business card, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm the, as I would say, I'm the king muckety-muck. Nobody's going to tell me what I have to do and what I don't do. That's part of being a business owner. That's the worst boss, best boss scenario. Right. Well, when I hit this plateau, my twin, my boys were older and gone, but my twin girls, I think they were in 10th, 10th or 11th grade. <clears throat> they both wanted to go to college. 
And I'd always planned, I want to help my kids go to college. I never intended to pay for everything, but I thought, man, I want to help them get a good start, etc. And I didn't have that kind of cash. You know, $25,000 a year, and I had twins. I didn't have that kind of extra money. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, see, what I believe with extreme motivation is you will do <clears throat> so much more for somebody else. Somebody else, uh, something else, a cause, <clears throat> something greater than yourself. Because I guarantee you, what I felt as a winner, as an entrepreneur, I felt like a loser as a dad because I didn't have the money to help them. And I said, I, I can't let this be. I cannot let this be. And that's that was the turning point for me to go learn how to be a speaker and start doing my events. And boom, my business blossomed. But yeah. I took my own inner desire and focus off of me and what I wanted, what I was okay with, and I stepped up the game so I could be a better father. I call that extreme motivation. If you've ever had a long work week and you're, you're, you just get home, you put your sweats on, you grab a beer, you're sitting in the backyard or sitting on the couch. If somebody, a friend calls and says, hey, let's go do this. I'm really tired. I'm just going to chill. Five minutes later, the phone rings. Hey, dude, my mom, uh, I got I to gotta move a couch or I got to do something because she's going to be a vic- I don't know. Pick, pick something like, and he said, right, dude, I'm there. I'll be right there. Mm-hmm. You will do something for somebody else more than you'll do it for yourself. Sure. I call that extreme sure. motivation, Dave. Yeah. No, that's great. That's a that's a fantastic way to to wrap up our time together. So tell me, what is so if I want the Jim Palmer fast track, I want to mm-hmm. I want uh, I want a I want a Jim Palmer IV. How do I you know how do I how do I get Jim Palmer pumping through my blood? What's the what do I need to do? Well, when you say that, it means I'm ready to go. I'm ready to invest, which is a key ingredient. Sure. Now. So let's take two tracks. <clears throat> Somebody just wants to learn more about me, go to getjimpalmer.com. You can, my books are on Kindle, at Amazon. They're on paperback. Um, there, I have my own personal websites for the books. In fact, the last three or four books are free, plus $6.95, if shipping and handling. My last three books, there's audio versions. So you can do that. Mm-hmm. Follow my podcast. Everything's at getjimpalmer.com. Um, my my coaching and mentoring group, my mastermind, Dream Business Mastermind, is Dream Biz Coaching, Dream Biz Coaching. I have three different levels. <clears throat> you can think of it as good, better, best, or or fast, faster, fastest. I have platinum, diamond, and VIP. Okay. Uh, VIP. By by the way, when I started coaching, little tip for coaches. I had basically group coaching and then group coaching plus one on one. I had two programs. I didn't start with three. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> About three or four years in. <clears throat> I started looking at how come these people that are working with me aren't growing. <clears throat> Sorry about my Friday voice, Dave. No, 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 that's fine. Um, I, by by the by the time by the time we get to four o'clock today, I will have that Friday <laughs> voice too. Trust me. <laughs> and so a friend of mine said, "Well, you're giving this advice, but they're not doing it. They're not implementing." In other words, yeah, you should write a book. Here's a great title, blah, blah, and then they don't do it for whatever reason. So I created what's called my VIP Elite Program, Mm -hmm. where I take my team, my ability, and my my writers, my book covers, my website builders, and I packaged roughly $25,000 worth of done-for-you stuff. I call it a dream business in a box. So if somebody's on this side of the fence where they say, I want the intravenous fast track, that's my VIP program. Mm -hmm. You and I get to talk like every week, four times a month, and we'll build your website, we'll get your book done, we'll help you get your podcast go. We'll do everything. That's the fast track. Okay, great. And they can see that at getjimpalmer.com? 
Get jimplummer.com. They'll link, they'll see coaching and they'll link over to dreambizcoaching.com. All right. Well, this has been this is the fastest hour I've had in a very very long time. It's <laughs> been holy smokes. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed this, Jim. Thanks so much for for giving us such great advice, such great wisdom. Folks, I want you to get Jim Palmer. So just get involved with him. Go buy a book. Go invest in his in one of his courses. Or if you're ready, get the Jim Palmer IV and let him do everything for you. <laughs> He's living his dream life. He's got his dream business. You can have your dream business too. GetJimPalmer.com. That's where you need to go. Jim was my guest today. We have a guest pretty much every single day. We're here every day at the Inside BS Show. We took you inside Jim's business. Jim went inside your business and tinkered around a little bit. Get him in there to help you get your business to where you need it to be to have your dream business and live your dream life. We'll see you right back here again tomorrow on the Inside BS Show. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.